There's a lot of news right now about COVID vaccines. Um, and uh, of course, now uh, we know that the vaccine for under five uh, is has been approved. And so children who, who are who, whose parents want to get them vaccinated can, can get them vaccinated. Um, a lot of chatter. I always refer to my my mommy Facebook sites as to to test the waters of what people are talking about. A lot of chatter about whether they're going to do it or not. I don't have children under the age of five, but if I did, I would. I mean, I, I have always been very much like first in line for the vaccine. I don't understand the counter argument, but you know, I'm here to learn, and I'm always trying to watch what people are saying and what their anxieties are. And of course, if you have questions, you should ask your doctor, but you shouldn't be asking Facebook, for example, if you should get your child under five vaccinated. Also, uh, many medical experts, doctors taking issue with Dr. Kieran Moore's a comment that uh, one in 5,000 of those who take the vaccine suffer from myocarditis. Um, I wanted to bring in our next guest to break this all down. Dr. Abdul Sharkawi is an infectious diseases consultant with the University Health Network. Welcome to the program, doctor. Good morning. Good morning. Your reaction uh, to Dr. Kieran Moore's uh, comment uh, about one in 5,000 um, showing myocarditis, uh, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think there's two points that are uh, really uh, important to, to make here. One is the accuracy of the statement in and of itself. And number two, you know, the impact of any sort of statement with respect to vaccine um, harm versus benefit. I think those two things are really uh, distinctly different, but they're very much important part of the same issue here. First of all, in terms of the accuracy, uh, it, it was a misleading statement because, uh, first of all, it doesn't really uh, help contextualize the fact that it, it is uh, meant to represent the 18 to 24 age group in, in men and it's in what is called reported, potentially reported myocarditis after two doses of an mRNA vaccine, whether that's Moderna or Pfizer. And I use sort of emphasis with the word reported because it's important. What that means is that because the reporting system is relatively open and fluid, you don't need to have a firmly established diagnosis to be corroborated in order for something to be recorded as an event. So that means that if somebody came into the hospital, for example, they had some chest pain, they had some difficulty breathing, and then the tests that we would normally do to firmly establish a diagnosis of, of myocarditis, which is swelling of the heart muscle, they may not have been uh, positive tests. They may not have supported that diagnosis, but somebody felt that, mm, you know, maybe there was something that couldn't otherwise be explained. That's still recorded as an event. Um, so that's problematic. The other thing is that if you go into the data and actually look at it after three doses, that risk goes down in terms of reported events much more to, to like one in 30,000. And if you look at all men overall in Ontario, based on the data, uh, after three doses of an mRNA vaccine, that goes down to one in over 92,000. So first of all, it's important to understand how the events are reported. It's important to understand that it's a limited snapshot of who it is that's being uh, regarded as having this. And number three, it's important in understanding that 
the vaccine-induced condition is far, far different overall from what happens when you get it due to the virus. And I sort of mentioned that also in in one of my uh, tweets, which is that if someone gets vaccine-induced myocarditis, they may present with the same symptoms early on, and it may be very distressing. They have serious chest pain, they have shortness of breath and palpitations, and they feel quite terrible. But what happens as a rule is that with a course of anti-inflammatories that is relatively short, we're talking 10 to 14 days, um, and proper monitoring, most people revert to their normal state of health very quickly within a matter of a few weeks with no evidence of lasting damage. So their ultrasounds of their heart become normal again. Their blood tests don't show that there's elevation in protein markers that show there's been persistent inflammation to the heart. And they're back to who they were because it's just the trigger of the immune system going a little too over-exuberant briefly that is responsible for that. The same can't be said for when you get it due to the virus, because once that inflammatory signal has been turned on, it's often very difficult to turn it off. And so the patients that I see, that I've seen as recently as a few days in my long COVID clinic, who are young males who got COVID and it was not vaccine related, some of them have been really unwell for over a year And Mm -hmm. they're not back to their baseline state of health. They're constantly short of breath and fatigued and have exercise-induced chest pain. So I think it's really important for people to understand a proper perspective and not to be fearful of the vaccine and sort of equate the same level of risk that a vaccine may have compared to the virus. And that's something that I think may have been inadvertently done. I'm sure it was not Dr. Moore's intention, But I think the impact is important. It can be very misleading if people don't have all the context. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, it it gives further anxiety for those people who may already have anxiety. And, you know, when you give them these hard numbers and they start thinking about, well, what does that mean uh, in a population like Ontario and a population like Canada and and start making their own decisions uh, about uh, what how, what people are suffering from. I wanted to just quickly ask you, uh, doctor, also about the COVID, uh, the Moderna vaccine being approved for infants and preschoolers, so six months and up to five years old. It's a quarter dose, from what I understand. Um, there's a lot, you know, parents have a lot of questions. Obviously, you know, w- with anything to do with um, any vaccine that you might give your child. Um, what, what's your reaction to this, the vaccine being, uh, approved and, and it, would, would you recommend that parents get their kids six months and up vaccinated now? Absolutely. Without a question. And, and before we talk about the vaccine itself, the one thing that I can say to any parent, and I'm a parent and my kids are, are over the age of six months to five years, but, I was a parent to kids within that age group, and had they been within that age group right now, it wouldn't even be a question in my mind. There's no precedent whatsoever. If you go through every vaccine that's ever been uh, uh, devised and then deployed to the general population, there's no example wherein a vaccine has been offered to adults and has been safe and effective for adults that has not been the same for kids. If you go through every vaccine that's a routine vaccine, whether it's measles, mumps, rubella, flu, diphtheria, tetanus, polio, the whole deal, 
there's never a situation where any of those vaccines is not indicated for kids. And that's because our immune system is effectively the same. It's fundamentally the same immune system. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. The real difference is what is the dose that's going to be most appropriate for a young infant or or young child because their immune system is actually more robust in terms of the amount of response and the stimulus that's required to elicit that response. And truthfully, that's the only reason I think that it took so long for these vaccines to finally get to where they are now. It wasn't the mechanism that was going to be in question. It was finding that sweet spot, the dose that was just enough to trigger a good enough antibody response. And there was some difference in terms of what the age group that was over the age of four compared to the age group of sort of six months to around two to three years. There was a bit of a discrepancy around that, and it took some time to finally land on the right dose that was going to be pretty uniformly satisfactory for all kids between six months and five years. So I don't think that this is anything to be concerned about. I'm thrilled that the last Mm -hmm. major segment of our population that has effectively been left on their own now seven waves into this, can finally get some coverage and protection. The myth that kids don't get sick from COVID has been thoroughly dismissed at this point. With each successive wave, we've seen more kids getting sick, more kids getting sick seriously, and more kids dying. They're still rare events, but they're not completely uncommon uh, overall. So we need to be mindful of that and mindful of the fact that kids can also spread COVID. That myth has been debunked as well. So, you know, you're talking about preschool environments and educational environments and everywhere that kids happen to be, it's important for them not to be vectors of transmission to others within their own environment who may be at greater risk. So this is fantastic news, and I would encourage every parent to go out there and with confidence vaccinate their child. It's the best thing that they can do for them and their family and their community here. Well, Dr. Abdul Sharkawi, thank you so much for joining the program, breaking these two stories down for us, because there has been a lot of development when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccines. And it really, as I've said from the beginning, context is so important in all these cases. So thank you for doing the good work and we appreciate your time.